these words from Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness." Last week, we began our study of these words in putting off the old man, and we're going to continue that this week. But we left off by saying that in our salvation, God truly does desire and expect much, much more from us than we at first realize. That so often as we take those first steps of receiving Christ as our Savior, our thoughts and our concerns are far more focused on His saving us out of the miseries of our circumstances because He often brings misery into our circumstances in order to make our hearts more receptive. And so we're so focused on His saving us out of those wretched miseries of our circumstances that we don't consider that He instead wants to give us eternal righteousness. And yes, he does have pity on us. He has pity on our circumstances, and he does desire to save us out of those circumstances. He loves us, and we are his children, and he is compassionate towards us. And he especially doesn't desire that any of us should perish in our sins. But listen, may we understand above all else that God's compassion is not so limited as our small minds might conceive. His desire and his plans are far greater than simply saving a piteous group of people out of their wretched miseries. He wants to give us a grace-filled gift of eternal life. And as part of that gift, he wants to adopt us into his family as beloved sons and daughters. Do we understand that? He wants to go so much further than simply relieving our miseries. He wants to adopt us as his children. And then on beyond that, his plans are for you and me to become the intimate, loving bride of his only begotten son. And folks, listen, that's no small matter. That's no small matter. For us to receive this wonderful show of, of love, much is required both on the part of God and from you and me. Now, I don't know how your mind receives all these thoughts and concepts, but my mind imagines all sorts of possibilities. In our salvation, you and I not only get to become family members in the most royal of all the families on the face of the earth, we really already are 
The moment we received Christ as our Savior, we were adopted into the royal family of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now think about that. Think about that. Now unfortunately, as I observe myself and most all the other members of God's family, I do fear that most of us fail to fully grasp all that we've become in our salvation. All these newfound privileges and provisions that uh, are ours in Christ. In Him, folks, we have been adopted into a family that is so far above anything that we've been accustomed to that we don't even begin to step up to the real honor of that new estate. Listen to these words. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race. Now this is once the very moment that we receive Christ as our Savior. This is who we become. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know things now that you didn't know before. You perceive goodness now that you did not perceive before. You thought like the rest of the way God words it here, the Gentiles think. Now you think differently. So often we don't stop to recognize that. But you do. He says, goes on to say in verse 10 of 1 Peter 2, you, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the unbelieving world, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are part of the royal family of God. Now, while it's not an adequate comparison, my mind goes quickly to those portrayals that we see on television of the royal families of past centuries in countries like England. In those programs, and we have been watching one recently called Downton Abbey, in those programs, those lords and ladies in those royal courts, they seemingly have very few responsibilities other than to simply regale themselves in their fineries and busy themselves with social gatherings and feasts and other gala events. And as we're able to see in reality from reported history, those nobles were not often very noble towards each other in their conduct. The subtle corruptions of sin that is so available to people who do not have much purpose in life and they have money to enjoy the things of this world. Those subtle corruptions of sin, when left unattended, they, they creep in to the noblest of intentions and they have devastating effects. But listen, sin is always that way, no matter what level that we're on. As God tells us in the book of James, it only takes a small spark, a small spark of temptation, and desire will begin to ignite within the recesses of our imagination. And then suddenly, without much warning, a raging fire begins to spread and engulf a person's life. Listen to these words. 
James 1, beginning in verse 14. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now that's often a quiet, almost imperceptible occurrence. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, as these words indicate, sin may often begin in a very small way. But if left unattended, and that's a point that I want you and I to take with us today, we cannot leave sin unattended in our lives. If left unattended, that sin can do untold damage in a person's life. And it's never content to remain just within that one person, within you. It spreads. It spreads out into your families and into the whole family of God. Now, yes, sin is also prevalent in the unbelieving people of lowest state, where alcohol and drugs and all those other kinds of behaviors. But listen, I want us to know that sin is far more egregious, far more shameful in those of us who have been brought into and adopted into this highest state of the family of God. We have so much, much more at stake, so much, much more in our salvation, so much, much more that we need to give as a testimony. And we will give it as a testimony whether we pass or we fail in our efforts, in our commitment to Christ. These scriptures tell us clearly that now that we have Christ, we are without excuse. So any time that you perceive that an excuse is about to come out of your mouth, swallow it back again. It only makes matters worse. As the example of sin given here in the book of James implies, sin is a patient corruption. It's willing to wait as temptation does its slow and arduous work within us, fomenting and stirring. And then when the time is really, really wrong, it roils its way up to the surface and does its damage. As we read these words in our scripture text for today, we can see that the tempter knows exactly where to begin his temptations and his attempts to re-enter back into our souls. Now remember, when you and I receive Christ as our Savior, we will wash clean all those old sins, all those lusts of the flesh were wiped away. But the tempter was not. And he knows exactly where to begin his temptations and to attempt to re-enter back into our souls. He remembers all those, as these scriptures tell us, those former days before our salvation. And he remembers those things that struck our fancy. And he remembers the influences that he used to use in our life. And he'll simply employ those same exact tactics again to reach into our souls, to tempt us. They worked the first time, why not the second time? We gave in to it before, why not now? These words in verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt. Notice that word, grows corrupt. 
that which he starts, it starts to grow. That's the essence of those words I just read to you regarding sin. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Let me take another moment and remind us of the condition from which you and I are coming. That before you and I receive Christ as our Savior, sin and our sinful nature fully did control our mind. It controlled our being, our heart, our soul, our flesh. In my imagination, I just see the tentacles of sin reaching down deep and spreading throughout every part of our being. The way we think, our attitudes, holding us in forms of bondage. And unfortunately, that old nature, though its power has truly been killed out in our salvation, as I said a moment ago, it still has this access to us. God still gives sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil access to our flesh. And it still remembers, as I mentioned a moment ago, all those good times that it had as we did all those wrong things. And much like a drug addict will for seemingly no good reason at all return back to his drugs. Or an alcoholic return back to his alcohol. Or as Proverbs 26 tells us in verse 11, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Sin is clever. And as we're told in Genesis 4-7, it desires to have you and me and to control us. And so God is saying to us here, put off that old man, that old self. Take away all of those avenues of possibility that the tempter has within you and me. And I want to assure you and I again, I've exhorted us on this so often before, but listen, we truly can now simply say no to sin and to its control over us. Because according to the words of Romans 6, sin no longer has dominion over us. We cannot say we could, could not help ourselves. We can. On the authority of the Word of God, we can now help ourselves. And very importantly, you and I are not allowed to bring even one of our old habits, our old ways into this new relationship with Christ. That would be like, me as a husband wanting to bring an old girlfriend into my relationship with my wife. God does not permit that. You and I cannot bring any of our old habits or old relationships into this relationship with Christ. His holiness will not tolerate any of those corrupt relationships that we had before we knew Him as Savior. Why? Because that is a sin that we'll bring in and leave unattended. And again, sin left unattended. It'll grow, grow corrupt, as these words tell us. Increase and corrupt every part of who we are. Jesus gave that example when he spoke of how just a tiny amount of leaven will leaven a whole lump. So God tells us then to put off, as with a garment, the old man, the old self, the old personality, with all of its many imperfections. And now here in these words, thankfully, he doesn't leave us wondering where we should start. He gives us a few examples to begin with. And he points to them in the lives of unbelieving Gentiles. 
verse 17. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. He's saying, look at them. Look at them and see how you should not walk. And he gives the first example. In the futility of their mind. The futility of their minds. It's this seemingly endless stream of useless and worthless distractions. Not always sinful, but just distracting involvements that keep us from the better thing. Busies them to where they don't begin to realize even that they need a Savior. You need only to walk through Walmart or down a corridor at the airport and you see these addictive fascinations of people, especially with their cell phones, with their clothing, and then they're involved in so many other things, sports, pickup trucks, digital games, and on and on. Futility. Futility at its limits. We cannot live without having our cell phone near us these days. And I'm not just saying that. It's a truth. In verse 18 we read, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. The life of an unbeliever is total darkness. You and I don't understand that now that we have Christ. But they're living in total darkness. And because the things of the Spirit can only be discerned by the Holy Spirit being within a person, an unbeliever just languishes all of their days in ignorance and blindness. They have no desire to learn of Christ because they have no idea that they need Him. Then also here in verse 19, who being past feeling, it's like a, an injury that is covered over by a scar. It doesn't have much feeling anymore. And so these things have been taking place so much within the unbelieving life that there's no feeling left who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Lewdness and uncleanness are a way of life to this world. Vile, filthy, profane sexual thoughts and activities, they just fill the minds of just untold millions every day. With pornographic pictures and literature as available as their cell phone, why not? God ends this verse with the word greediness. Money and the things of money, the things it can buy, the incessant preoccupation of the mind with all of those things just capture us. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read that familiar verse, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Now the list ends here, but it does not exhaust the number of sins that are available to the unbelieving world. The list just goes on and on. But God has given us this list as a beginning point for you and me to say, okay, now, this is what you're coming out of. Now I want to tell you what to do with this. I want to provoke your mind to know what to do with this. So I'm going to go back over these verses again. 
and ask ourselves, what should we do? First, you and I are to turn our hearts and our minds to God and ask, Lord, Lord, search me and make known to me all that I should know about my personal sinfulness. Have you done that? Make known to me all that I should know so that I can repent. I was ignorant, but now I'm not ignorant. So make known to me what I should put off in this old man. Those words in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me then in the way everlasting. To repentance. So you've got to start there and say, Lord, I've been so ignorant all my life. I don't know. All I know is what I used to know. Now reveal to me what I should do with this new life. So then again, verse 17, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. The futility of the mind is just as easy for you and I to fall into. Incessant watching of television can be a real problem in my own life if I'm not careful. It keeps me as a believer distracted from doing and knowing and enjoying those better things of God. It also keeps us from working within the body of Christ that we've been studying about here in Ephesians. Here in verse 18 we read, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Jesus said, Come unto me all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. The one thing that believers seem to fall short at most is the reading and the learning of God's truth. The thing that is most needful in every one of our lives is a faithful devotion to reading, to knowing more and more about these scriptures. Do you have a daily reading of your Bible? In Hebrews 4 he says, For the word of God is living and it's powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. As you and I read this word, he pierces into our heart He says, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. But you've got to open this book first and start reading. And suddenly, these words will start to do a work in your heart that you can't imagine, that you've never known before. And he'll turn that darkness spoken about here into light. There's something very mystically real about reading these scriptures. In verse 19 we read, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. I believe that it's safe to say that this is one of the most prevalent forms of bondage that a believer must overcome. As we come out of this condition of unbelief into salvation, clean and free from all the bondages and entanglements that were once ours in our former life. Lewdness and immoral behavior are immediately there to bring fresh temptations into our lives. A statistic that I've quoted so often to us here, 
that most devout believers, most devout believers are drawn to pornography. And let me assure you that pornography is nothing short of Jesus' definition of adultery. Read it for yourself. When you look at a woman, or women when you look at a man, with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. Finally, here again, greediness. And again, notice the words of 1 Timothy chapter 6. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. He's speaking directly to us who are believers. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Your greediness will bring sorrow to you. What form of greediness takes precedent in your life? Is it in a lack of giving? Is it in reaching for money that you really don't need? There are different forms of greediness. It can cause us to stray from the faith and bring all sorts of sorrows to us. Now all these warnings are to you and me as believers. And God is admonishing us just as Joseph had to flee immediately from Potiphar's wife. You and I are to flee immediately from any of these temptations because we have to remember that we really did like them back in our former life. And they are simply revisiting us, trying to find a hole back into our life. And if we leave them unattended, they will rise up and bring us ruin. You and I are to put off our old man, our old self, and we are to become that new creature that Christ has made us into being in our salvation. And we can do that. We can do that. Scripture tells us that we can. In our salvation, our old man has actually already been defeated. Our old self has been crucified with Christ. And listen to this. And I want to challenge us with this as I close. If God is confident enough to command you and me to put off the old man, then you and I must be confident enough to obey him and to get on about it. I'll close with these words. Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray.